how much is your net worth? How much is your net worth? I don't know if you've thought about that recently. Maybe you have if you've caught a stock headline or something like that. Now, there's a way to calculate it. It's pretty easy. I saw this on one of those infomercials about real estate. And here's what you do. You add up all your assets and then you subtract all your debts. It's pretty simple. Whatever that number is, that's according to the financial world, that's your net worth. Now, some of you, as you made quick inventory of the figures in your mind, you began to Perhaps some of you here feel, you know, halfway decent about the situation. You know, you said, hey, you know, it's not, not too bad. It's looking, looking good. Others of you, on the other hand, you did the quick math and you didn't feel so good. You, you maybe even depressed as you thought about those particular numbers. You see, many people today get their happiness and satisfaction from their net worth, what the, maybe their bank account, and really that translates into what they feel they're, they're able to do with and in their lives. And that gives them tremendous satisfaction and it brings a feeling of value and all that into their lives. Now, if your net worth is not enough to encourage you, then maybe it is your relationships that encourage you and give you a sense of value and of worth. You, you say, well, I don't have much materially, but I've got a lot going on relationally. Amen? And so you look to your relationships and those things that give you value and net worth. You say, I don't have a boat, but I have a friend who has a boat. Amen? And I think I've heard that that's the best way to go about that, right? You've heard that? Um, on the other hand, many people feel that there's not much to make them feel better about themselves. They look to the financial side of things and they, they don't feel so great. They look relationally in their lives and maybe there's a little bit to be desired there. They look to themselves and they, they, they're not feeling too good. And many people just have a very low view of themselves. Because by the world's standards, they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot going on. Maybe it is that you don't, when you look at these factors that I've brought up, you don't feel like you have a lot going on. I, I, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not able to do a lot. I'm not able to go out and do a lot. Maybe you look at your relationships and you are just left wanting maybe in those areas as well. And it's sad to say that even many Christians begin to feel this way when they continue to compare their lives with others. In comparison, when we begin to compare ourselves with others, it's a surefire way to bring uh, some bad things into our minds and into our lives spiritually. Before you know it, they, they, people become miserable they begin to think about all the things that they don't have. They begin to think about all the things they wish they had to make them happy. Maybe it's more things. Maybe it's more friends, whatever it is. Today, tonight, I want to declare to you that you have tremendous value and you have tremendous worth in, the, in, in God's eyes and, and in the kingdom economy. And I want to declare that to you tonight. More than you can even imagine, and we're going to discuss that tonight. 
You're very valuable to God. In fact, we're going to talk about it this way. You are his special treasure. We're continuing in our study of the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. And we've looked at the parable of the sower. We've looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares. Last week, we looked at the parables of the mustard seed and the parable of the, of the leaven. And tonight, we're going to look at two more of the parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. Now, these parables tell of the tremendous worth and value that God places on his people. These are the themes that these parables relate to us in as Jesus would teach them to us. In tonight's study, we'll see just how valuable we are in God's eyes. We'll see that we have tremendous worth to God. And we'll see that the only logical response to understanding this is to give God the highest place of worth in our own lives. And so let's look at these tonight. And we kind of shift gears when we come into these parables. It kind of transitions a little bit in, in, if you look at the group of seven in these next two. So let's first look at the parable of the hidden treasure. It's found in verse 44 of Matthew 13. And it says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and, and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. So Jesus here, he tells us, this is the fifth parable if you're counting. There's seven altogether. We've been through four. Tonight we're going to look at five and six. And the parable of the hidden treasure is the fifth one. In the parable, you have some key items. You have a man, you have a field, and you have a treasure. And this is how it's laid out. Now, the field, if we go back to the very first parable that we discussed uh, in, well, actually the second one, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the, the field, God, uh, Jesus talked about a field, having a field, and the field is really the world. The field is the world. And in, in the same way that the field was the world in the second parable, here in the fifth one, it's the same way. The field is the world. And so there's this field and it's the world. And in the field, there is a treasure. And we'll get to what the treasure is in just a minute. And then you have this man who finds the treasure. And he, he, he kind of, you know, it, it, as, it, as it were, you know, he would find it. Maybe he was working in the field. Maybe he was just walking through the field. He finds the treasure. He reburies the treasure. And then what the man does is he goes out because he's so wanting to possess this treasure and he knows that the only way that he could possess this treasure is if that he goes and he buys the field. Because if he buys the field, he's going to be given the ownership to the treasure that's in the field. So he goes out, he sells everything that he has, and he buys the field. The question is, who's the man and what's the treasure? That's the question. Now, this particular parable, like a couple of the others, has been taught from different perspectives. And I'm going to teach it from the perspective. And I'll tell you what, I have um, in the last 15 years or so, 20 years, um, I have kind of seen both sides of a lot of these parables. And the, the way that I'm presenting the parables to you now is 
uh, the way that I have come to understand them after, after that many years of studying in the Scripture and looking at it. And, and we're going to take it from that particular perspective. In, in that interpretation, the field is the world. The man is, well, some people teach it from the standpoint that the, the, the treasure is the kingdom of God or salvation, perhaps, or a relationship with Christ. And we're to be the man. And we find that salvation in God and that relationship with God so valuable that we go and sell everything that we have, give everything away so that we might possess that treasure that is a relationship with God or God himself or, or whatever it is, maybe salvation. And um, there's a lot to like about that particular tra- uh, uh, way of looking at the parable. And we'll kind of, we're going to flip it on its, uh, on its side at the end of the time tonight. But I want to talk to you about really what I believe is the correct interpretation here. And, and it is this, that the man is the Lord Jesus Christ and that the treasure is you. It's the people of God that the Lord God through Christ bought and purchased by coming into the world and giving his life for mankind. And so the treasure is you and the man is Jesus himself. He gave everything. Jesus gave everything to have you, to be with you, that you might be purchased and bought and paid for. And he loves you so much. He wants you to be his own. You could say it this way. You are God's special treasure. Now back to the opening. We talked about net worth and you say, well, you went through all those ways of looking at your net worth and you say, well, I didn't feel so good about uh, my net worth. But tonight I want you to feel a lot better about your net worth as it pertains to you being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven because you have tremendous worth And it's because you're God's special treasure. You're a treasure to God. You're a special treasure in the eyes of the Lord. Now you say, are are you sure, Charles? Where do you get this from? Well, I get it from the Old Testament and I get it from the New Testament. Amen. In fact, God said this exact thing that I'm telling you. He said it to Moses. He, He said it to Moses. And here's how God said it to Moses. The text is Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and we'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, Now therefore, God talking to Moses here, and he's going to deliver this word to the people. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so God is telling Moses that, look, this people is going to be my special people. This people is going to be a people that is is called by my name, that you're going to be my special treasure in the world. You're going to be a special treasure to me, God says, above all the people of the earth, for for the earth is mine. And in verse 6, look at that. He says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he says, these are the words I want you to tell the people, the children of Israel, the children of God. And so this is it. Israel was to be a special people, a treasure really in the world, a treasure of God's. 
And in the New Testament, it's the same thing for the believer, the true believer. That these very same things that God spoke to Moses to relate to the people of Israel, the apostles tell us, the church, the believer, the Christian, the believer in Christ Jesus, we're a special treasure. We're, we're God's own possession. We're a, we're a royal priesthood. We're kings and priests. We're all these things because we're loved of God. We have tremendous value and tremendous worth in the eyes of God. Now, the problem that you see is that we don't know how valuable we are. We don't know what our worth is. We get down from time to time. We allow these circumstances of this life to somehow reek in and, 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 and wreak havoc in our minds and cause us to feel down about the situation. Maybe it's, you know, you, you can wake up on any given day and sometimes, you know, you, you have a phone call or you have an email that comes through. Maybe you've put in a special request. I, I put in a special request this, this week. A special request that was going to be a, a big benefit to the church, I believe. And I got an email back one day, and, and the email was basically said, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Charles. Wish it were different, but that's not going to happen. It didn't say exactly like that, but that was the gist of it. Amen? And, you know, you get an email like that, and it's like, oh, that's a real downer. That's a real, you know, that's a real damper to the day. That's a real, you know, kind of, you know, I was going good and then all of a sudden I had that. And, 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 and here's what can happen. We can allow things like that to really kind of affect the way we, we view our lives, the way we view our day, the way things are going in our life. And, and you know, we, we've got we've to be people that can live beyond those circumstances and those types of emails and, and downer days. And I know the, the, the email that I got is nothing compared to maybe something that you have gotten or you're facing or an email that you have gotten in your life. Um, we're going to make it past that one, okay? You know, but what happens is people allow circumstances to, to get them down to rule the day. And, and I want to tell you today, tonight, that you're valuable to God, that you're loved by God, that you're his special treasure. And, and there's so many people that don't know their true value and put that true value that God places on you and put that at, at the center of your mind in the sense that, you know what, it, it doesn't matter the circumstance that may happen today, tomorrow, tonight, next week, next year, six years, 60 years from now, because I'm, a, I'm God's special treasure. And I, and I like to remind all of us tonight, guess what? Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and he's already at the end and everything's okay. Yeah. Amen? I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and guess what? I'm already at the end and everything is all right. And so you need to know that tonight and know that you are a special treasure even in and through the circumstance that you might be going through in your life. I want to tell you a story. There was an elderly woman down, just down the road in West Palm Beach. This was a story that came through the news wires years ago. And this woman, it was an elderly woman down in West Palm, and she passed away and she died. She literally just passed away in her little house there in West Palm Beach. The house was small, run down. Um, the air conditioning, when they came and found her, the air conditioning wasn't running. They found her in the house with barely a trace of food in the pantry. She was frail and literally had wasted away. 
However, in the house, they found the keys to two bank safety deposit boxes. They went down to the bank, opened up the safety deposit boxes, and there were deposit statements there totaling over $400,000 and stock certificates and bonds. The total value of all that was in those two safety deposit boxes was over $2 million. And yet she died in absolute poverty conditions. She didn't realize what she had. She didn't put it to use. She didn't realize what she had. I mean, I thought about that story, and I'm thinking, $2 million? You could keep a million in the bank and have fun with the other million, right? I mean, you could have, she could have had a maid. You know, she could have had somebody cook her meals for her. She could have had somebody draw the bath water for her. I mean, she could have had whatever she wanted, but she didn't know her value. And I'm afraid that there's many Christians, there's many people in the world, and there's many Christians that don't know the value that they have in Christ. They don't realize how much they're, they're worth. They don't know how valuable they are to God. You need to know and you need to be reminded. You say, Charles, well, well, don't we know this? Yeah, we know a lot of stuff. But if you're anything like me, I need to be reminded of this stuff all the time. And you need to be, there's times when stuff happens in your life. And you know, th those are the times that a word like this needs to come to the rescue of your situation and your mental situation at that given moment, realizing, you know what, I'm going to make it through this because I'm a special treasure of God. I'm valuable to God. Amen. You're valuable. How valuable are you? You're a treasure. You're, you're so valuable that Jesus gave up everything for you. You say everything? What do you mean everything? I mean, in the parable, the man sells everything, right? The man sells everything so that he can purchase the, the field. And in the field is the treasure, right? And it's the same with the Lord Jesus. He gave up everything. How did he do that? In Philippians, the second chapter, Paul put it this way. It, beginning in verse 6, he said, Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. Oh, stop right there. Here he is, he's everything. <laughs> Here he is, he's the substance of everything. He, he, he's light, he's love, he's the creator. He's the one that holds the universe in, in, in existence. He, in, in him all things consist, Paul told the Colossians. Here he's telling the church at Philippi, he made himself nothing he took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. Verse 8, and in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. That's, that's how Jesus gave everything for you, to possess you, to purchase you. Jesus gave up everything. He came down, I like it how it puts it here. He says, though he was God, he did, he did not demand or cling on to that aspect of being God. You know, the, the, the other translations, you know, they, they word that, they, they say he did not, he did not, one translation says he did not consider it robbery. You know, the, the idea actually in the language is to, holding on to, he didn't hold on to it. He didn't hold on to it. See, because there was something over here. He says, you know, I'm going to purchase that field. 
I'm going to purchase this treasure. And although I'm God and I sit in heaven on the throne and the angels are worshiping holy, holy, holy. He says, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm going to, I'm going to enter the universe that I made. I'm going to come to the earth that I made. And I'm going to take on human flesh so that I can pay the perfect price for, for my treasure that I want so desperately that I, that I want to possess. Amen. And so this is the love of God. This is the, this, you know, you try to describe the love of God, right? People have written all these songs, right? To try to describe the love of God. And, and, I, and I guess you could say that for, for all of eternity, we'll be trying to figure out how to, how, to, how to sing of all the glories of God and all the great love of God. But, but this is incredible. He gave up everything. He came down to earth to show you how much he loves you. And because of his great love, with which he loved us, it, it, I believe it places tremendous value on you as a person, as a human being. It places tremendous value. Now look at verse 44 once again. There it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And I want you to notice this next phrase. It says, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I want you to look at that particular phrase there. The, the man, for the, for the joy over the treasure. For the joy over the treasure. In other words, he, he sees this field, he sees this treasure in the field, and when he sees this treasure in the field, there's joy. <laughs> for, for the joy of it, he says, I'm going to give up everything and I'm going to get that treasure for the joy over it. Can you imagine? What is it that, that just overjoys you? What is it that overjoys you? For God, it's easy. It's, it's you and it's me. For the joy over the treasure, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the, the, the land. The, the uh, writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 12, verse 2. He said this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's that? This passage tells us that, that there was a joy set before Jesus. I believe if you look at this parable and you look at this verse and you put two and two together and you connect the dots, you know exactly what that joy was. The joy of that possession that he wanted to purchase. And it was set before him and he endured the cross. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us in that particular passage, he's basically telling us we need to, we need to look to, to Jesus and have the joy of the Lord set before us that we can continue to, to go through life and to do the things that, that he's called us to do. You were, you were worth so much to Jesus that he was willing to give up everything and pay the ultimate price. He died, he gave up his life for you, and with that death he purchased you, he bought you, and you were that joy that was set before him. Well, let's look at the second parable tonight. It's actually the sixth parable, and it's called the parable of the pearl of great price. And we pick it up in verse 45. It says this, 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price and went and sold all that he had and bought it. You, you see a, a similar, there's a similarity there to the first parable that we're looking at, the, the parable of the hidden treasure. Here we have the parable of the pearl of great price. And here you have, a, you have this merchant who goes out, he finds this pearl, this it's a magnificent pearl, and he wants to purchase it, and he, he gives everything that he has so that he can possess this particular pearl. And just like the man who finds the hidden treasure sells all that he has, this man goes out and he, he sells what he has so that he can possess this pearl of great price. And the point of this story, the point of this parable, the illustration, if you will, is that when he found the pearl of great price, he gave everything to possess it. There is one interesting thing when you look at the, the idea of pearls. Um, per pearls were of, if you look in the Old Testament, it's kind of one of those bottom-dwelling uh, things that if you look in Leviticus 11 and the, the, uh, the whole dietary laws and all that, you know, clams and, and, and oysters and that type of thing would not be kosher per se. And so the pearl was really not considered a... Uh, a gem or a jewel in, in so much in Jewish or Arab culture, um, but it was in the Gentile culture, in the, in the, the culture at large. And, and so there would be Jews who would trade in pearls just because of the value that they had in the Gentile world. And, and of all the Jews, the jewels, not the Jews, of all the jewels, the pearl is the only one that is made by a living organism as a response to irritation that has been introduced. There, there, the, this, the oyster, as it were, there, there's the irritation, if you will, and the irritation uh, is, is produced in this, this living organism, this gem or this jewel or this pearl as we, as we know it. And some of you ladies perhaps have some pearls on tonight. Nod if you, if you have some pearls. Maybe at home you have them. Okay, all right. Um, and so then what happens after this oyster goes through this irritation, this living organism, then somebody comes along and grabs the, the oyster, as it were, and opens it up, and it retrieves, the, the person retrieves this, this gem, this, this jewel, if you will, from that place of irritation, and then it is moved to a place of adornment. And, and so then you can see the, the imagery there perfectly of the bride of Christ, amen? And that how we are uh, that bride that is, is that adornment. We've been adorned and, 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 and we are really a jewel and a gem to God. We talked about it on Wednesday night as we've been going through Revelation and we talked about even the breastplate of the high priest and the, the gemstones on, on the breastplate of the high priest and how each one of those gemstones represented a tribe of Israel. And so uh, I, I'll say it this way, you know, the people of God are gems, amen? You're a gem, whether it's a pearl, whether it's a precious stone, um, you're a gem, there is another teaching that Jesus gives where he talks about a kind of a judgment, as it were, where it's not a judgment of salvation or non-salvation, but it's a judgment of our works. 
and looking at what it, what it, what it is that we've been focused on in our lives. And uh, there, there's this idea, the, the passage there that Paul articulates this, he says uh, that, you know, the, the, the wood, hay, and stubble, if the works of your life are, are that of wood, hay, and stubble, well, when they go through the fire, that's, that's the stuff that's going to burn up. But what doesn't burn up is the, the precious stones, the gold and silver. And, and I like to, and maybe it's a stretch, and maybe the you know, biblical commentators might come down hard on me on this, but, but I think, I, I really feel like I'm right on on this, that the, the works towards wood, hay, and stubble burn in the fire, but the works towards being a part of the kingdom and, and working towards the value that is present in people and winning people to the, to the Lord, that is a work that is valuable. Amen? Because when it's all said and done, you know, we can't take any of the stuff with us, but we can work to take our family because they're jewels, <laughs> they're gems. We can work to take our kids. We can position our lives. We can be the people, uh, men and women, who, who speak in such a way to win those people in our lives. I, 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 think it, I think it is a wake-up call for a lot of people because we do spend, and I know we have to, you're, you're looking, I slept mattresses all week. I was, I was moving them around today. You think, oh, a mattress, a mattress, what good is that? In the end, you know, today it's good, right? We you sleep on a good mattress, it's a nice comfy sleep. But to me, it's, it's, it's a work that I do, but my life is about so much more. Amen? My life is about the Lord. My life is about my relationship with my wife my kids, my family. That's what it's about. And we need to be about that too. And don't misunderstand me. Do the work that God's put into your hand to do to provide for that family, but don't sacrifice your family along the way either because the wood, hay, and stubble, the grass is gonna burn, but what's not gonna burn through the fire is the gemstones, the gemstones and the gold and the silver. Amen? Amen. Now, what I want to do as we move towards a close here is, um, is I want to flip this whole thing because if you remember, I prefaced the, the Bible study tonight with these two parables that sometimes they have been interpreted um, the other way as if, you know, we're the person that needs to, you know, sell all we have to buy the field so that we can possess the treasure of God or the treasure of salvation. Or we're the merchant that, that, that needs to realize the worth of the pearl of great price that, that is the kingdom or that is, the, that is salvation and all that, and we need to give up everything so that we can possess that pearl of great price. Now, I'm not going to flip it all the way and say that's it, but I will do this. I will flip it this way. First, I want to say this. You could never do anything to make Jesus love you more than he does. You could never do anything to make Jesus love you more than he does. And you could never do anything to earn your salvation. But let me ask you a question. But knowing how much Jesus loves you, how much worth and value that he's placed on you, and knowing the price that he paid to purchase you, 
What should your response to the Lord be? You have a God who loves you so much, who's always going to be there for you, who wants to walk with you, talk with you through each and every day. So here is the question. What amount of worth do you place on that? How much is that worth to you? How much value would you place on your most prized possession? What would you give to God who loves you so much and gave everything to purchase you and wants to be your God? What would you give up? What would you give? The correct response to the gospel is that that we do give everything to him. That is the correct response. It is not in order to possess salvation or to earn salvation or to be of, of the value and worth that God has already put on us. It is just the response to the gospel. It's the response to the love, to the sacrifice, to the purchase that Jesus has made on our behalf. He gave us everything. And, and, and in that sense, we're really to give everything in response. It's just, it's just the response. It's not flip-flopped. It's just the response to the fact that he gave everything. Amen? Now, this is the way Paul put it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, therefore, you'll see it on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, let's pause right there. If you read the book of Romans and you read the first 11 chapters, the whole entire book, the first 11 chapters, is all about your condition without God, that you're lost in your sins, that the world is in a desperate situation having turned from the worship of the true God to worship the created thing and not the creator. That's chapter 1. Chapter 3 talks about the wages of sin is death, but to get to God is eternal life. You're, You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You've received death. And he works this whole thing all the way up till you get to chapter 12, and this is what he says. Therefore, in view of your current situation without God, in view of everything God has done for you to deal with that situation and to redeem you from that situation, therefore, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now, what is is it that Paul was telling the Romans there? The imagery is that of the burnt offering. It is that, that where the presenter of the sacrifice of the burnt offering will literally present the offering and place it upon the altar And the burnt offering, the burnt sacrifice, was to be just that, burnt. In other words, consumed. Have you you ever burnt, you know, the the, the roast so bad that it was like, there's nothing left? It's gone, right? That's, that's That's it. You put the burnt offering up on the altar, and it's consumed, totally consumed. And that's what Paul is talking about, that we're to take... The only proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is to take everything we are, including our physical bodies, but not just that, everything, everything we are, take it to God and present it on the altar to be consumed for him. And that 
is the response to the gospel. And this is what Paul is talking about. And look, and look at what he says here. Do you have that verse still up there on the screen? With this setup, I can't see the screen, so I don't know what's up there. Amen? Is it still up there? Okay. Look at where it says there. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I, I use that translation there to put that on up there, probably because it, it really presented that whole idea of offering yourself. And I, and I wanted you to see that in the translation. But where it gets down here to true and proper, I don't really like that translation. Because the word there in the Greek is actually the word logikos. And it's actually where we get our word for logic or, lo, or lo, logical. It's, it is the idea of proper, but it is the idea of, of mentally the, the right way to go. I mean, this, this is sound. I mean, this, this is logical. This is, this, you want to... What, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Well, the logical thing to do, if God has given you everything, everything for you, he gave up everything. He didn't consider, you know, his godness, anything. He became man to, 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 to purchase you. In view of that, the logical thing, the thing that makes the most sense, the thing that just seals the deal is to give your whole self on the altar to be consumed for God. And that is the greatest response to the gospel. That's, that's the response to the gospel. And what happens is I think a lot of Christians find themselves in, in trouble spiritually because they haven't, they don't realize who they are and they haven't responded properly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know who you are and what Jesus did and you haven't responded properly to the gospel, man, you can be, it can be, you can, you can be messed up. But if you'll understand what Jesus did for you, who you are, that you're that special treasure that he wanted to possess and that you respond in the only proper, the only logical, the only, another translation puts it this way, reasonable response to the gospel is to give him everything back. Amen? And uh, I believe that's the response that we should have to the, 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 the man, the God-man who bought the field, the God-man who bought the pearl because he loves you so much.